Hi there, and welcome back to Out There, a cryptid podcast. I'm your host, Josh. For anyone new to the podcast, welcome. Each week I come out with a new episode about a cryptid or cryptids that I find super fascinating and weird. And if you don't know what a cryptid is, it is defined as an animal that has been claimed to exist, but never proven to exist. Cryptids don't have to be supernatural or mythical beings, although many are. Some cryptids have actually become documented animals. Make sure you go and follow the podcast on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, and check out the posts I make for each episode, and maybe send some suggestions you'd like to hear. Just a reminder that these next 11 or so episodes will be dedicated to some lesser-known cryptids from each of the states I drove through on my road trip from California to New Jersey. Each episode, I'll be covering one to three cryptids from those states. Plus, there will be some weird clubs thrown in along the way. So buckle up, because this is going to be a spooky ride. This week, we are talking about three cryptids from the gambling capital of the world, Nevada, and the state of Potatoes. Idaho, the Gargantuan Gliders, Tahoe Tessie, and Idaho's Bear Lake Monster. Now, let's start with the Gargantuan Gliders. Now, this cryptid was only spotted once, to the best of our knowledge. The sighting is from 1925, but wasn't told until 1959. A man named Don Wood Jr. and his friends stayed silent for 34 years. In 59, Wood wrote a letter to Flying Saucers magazine. This is what he wrote. I must write you of what happened to me in 1925, which I think solves most UFO reports. I have never told this to anyone, but can get signed affidavit if needed. Four of us were flying old jennies over the Nevada desert. One plane was a two-seater, the one I was in. We landed on Flat Mesa near Battle Mountain, Nevada. The Mesa is about... 5,000 square feet, and the walls are too steep to climb unless a lot of work is done. We wanted to see what was on top of this flat place. We landed at 1 p.m. While walking about the top of this place, we noticed something coming in for a landing. It was about 8 feet across and was round and flat like a saucer. The undersides were a reddish color. It skidded to a stop about 30 feet away. This next you won't believe. And I don't care, but it's the truth. We walked up to the thing, and it was some animal like we had never saw before. It was hurt, and as it breathed, the top would rise and fall, making a half-foot hole all around it, like a clam opening and closing. Quite a hunk had been chewed out of one side of this rim, and a sort of metal-looking froth issued. When it saw us, it breathed frantically and rose up only a few inches, only to fall back to earth again. It was moist and glistened on the top side. We could see no eyes or legs. After about 20 minutes rest, it started pulsating once more. We stayed 10 feet away. And, so help me, the thing grew as bright as all get out, except where it was hurt. It had a mica-like shell body. It tried to rise up again, but sank back again. Then we saw a large round shadow fall on us. We looked up and ran. Coming in was a much larger animal, 30 feet across. It paid no attention to us, but settled itself over the small one. Four sucker-like tongues settled on the little one, and the big one got so dazzling bright you couldn't look at it. Both rose straight up and were out of sight in a second. They must have been traveling a thousand miles an hour to get so high 
so fast. When we walked over, there was an awful stench, and the frothy stuff the little one had bled looked like fine aluminum wire. There were more frothy, wiry stuff in a 30-foot circle where the big one had breathed. This stuff finally melted in the sun, and we took off. So help me, this was an animal. I have never told this before, as we knew no one would believe us. I only write now because this animal would be one big 30-foot light if seen at night. I don't expect belief, but I simply had to write. Don't use my name. I'm still flying. But write it if you want more information. So, to recap, they saw not one, but two giant clam slash jellyfish-like animals that descended from the sky. The smaller of the two looked injured, and the larger one came down and brought the smaller one back up into space. Okay, at first this sounds a little fishy, because he apparently waited 34 years to tell his story. Here's the thing, back in 1925, UFOs and aliens were not a part of mainstream society like we know they are today. And even what they were during the 50s. Basically, it's widely thought that 1947 was when flying saucers became a popular term. Kenneth Arnold's UFO sighting on June 24, 1947 was the first time reporters started using the term flying saucer. So you can either believe this to be that Wood or whoever rode in wanted to get in on all of the alien talk and made up his account. Or you can believe that he didn't talk about it until he realized that him and his friends were not alone in seeing something out of this world. There's a man named Trevor James Constable, who is an author and researcher. He came up with the sky critter theory. Basically, he investigated many different incidents of aerial biological phenomenon during the late 50s and 60s. In this theory, he claimed that UFOs hailed from a parallel dimension known as Ethra, and that there were two types, machines and living entities. The living entities he named sky critters. They are... There are two books devoted to his theories, but he also commented on the gargantuan glider's experience. He said, Don Wood Jr. may have been the first person to get a close, terrifying look at a couple of these critters. He saw them in full physical density, in the light reflecting negative polarity as a result of his hobby of flying. The experience shook him significantly to make him keep his peace for several decades. Now, it should be said that no one else claimed to have seen these gliders, even to this day. But there was a strange occurrence that happened in the state of Washington that has been linked to this type of alien. Yes, yes, I know. We are venturing to another state that I did not drive through. But it's important because it may be a case of these gliders. Another author and investigator named Charles Fort has a theory. His theory is that there is a species of nearly transparent jellyfish that floated in the upper atmosphere. According to him, there have been other pilots that have reported seeing odd-shaped objects in the sky they thought resembled jellyfish. Which brings us to an incident that occurred in Oakville, Washington. Oakville is a small town along U.S. Highway 12. The population is less than 1,000, and was never really talked about until 1994. August 7th, 1994. 
A woman named Sunny Barklift was looking out her window when all of a sudden she saw something on her driveway. She saw it was covered in globs of a clear jelly-like substance, the size of a grain of rice. Now, she was not the only person to see this. The whole town was covered in it. Barklift and others went and touched the blobs that fell from the sky. After these people handled the objects, Barklift and two other people went to the hospital, suffering from fatigue and nausea. Now, they all recovered, and everyone almost put it behind them as a strange incident. Now, it should also be said that a few days later, a kitten that had lived outside of the Barklift's house died of a strange intestinal problem. So, that is very sad, but after, the town had just forgotten what had happened. Until less than 10 days later, on August 16th, just like the first one, another blob storm occurred, this time bringing more unknown blobs to Oakville. But unlike the first one, there were no residents that reported becoming ill, and it was suggested that the kitten drank some antifreeze, which killed it. So people believed that those who became ill after touching the objects were actually experiencing an anxiety attack or something similar. But a local doctor had a lab examine samples of the blobs. The initial analysis suggested they contained many different substances, including human white blood cells. So one theory that came from this was possible airplane waste fluid. But that one was ruled out because airplane waste fluid is blue and the blobs were clear or white. But when another analysis was done, more was uncovered. Health authorities reversed the initial finding of human white blood cells. They did say the blobs had living cells in them. However, they had no nuclei, whereas human cells do. So they were right back where they started, in unidentified living material falling out of the sky. There was a theory that came out saying that it was pieces of jellyfish after the U.S. Air Force had conducted a series of live bombing exercises off the coast of Washington. The theory was that these pieces were small enough to float along the clouds until they came down in rainstorms. But that means those jellyfish pieces had had to have traveled for nearly two weeks over a distance of 70 miles from the bombing range to Oakville. There was another theory that appeared on the famous TV show Unsolved Mysteries in 1997. On the TV show, they interviewed several residents who had experienced the strange rain three years earlier. Those people had stated that the blob rain came down six times, not the two that were widely known. And apparently, scientists found different kinds of bacteria in the blobs. Residents also said they saw black helicopters flying over the area at the time. Of course, the show didn't outwardly suggest that either the U.S. government or another country sent helicopters to leave contrails of toxic jelly blobs on Oakville, but that is exactly what they were saying. It doesn't even end there. Then, in 1997, the city of Everett also had a mysterious reign of blobs. Also, Cassie from Oddities covered this incident on one of the episodes, and she's a scientist, so she has much more knowledge than I do, so make sure to check that out. Okay, so here's how they have been linked to the gargantuan gliders. One theory is that these are pieces of the gliders from some kind of battle in space. To bring it 
back to Wood Jr.'s sighting, he saw one of these creatures injured, so perhaps they were involved in a battle. Another theory is that these gliders were laying their eggs on Earth, but the eggs were unable to hatch and either vanished or dissolved into the soil. One thing that does support this being extraterrestrial is that the National Weather Service received a phone call from an unidentified man who claimed hot metal fragments rained down from the sky, burning a hole through his children's outside trampoline. This, however, was never verified, so could it be that these gliders are involved in a war that we aren't aware of yet? Crazy, right? So now let's put our water monster hats on because we've got two to talk about. Why don't we stick with the state of Nevada and start with Tahoe Tessie? While I was doing my research for the states, the two things that almost every state has is a story of a Bigfoot or a lake monster. Tessie, named after its more famous cousin, Nessie, has been rumored to live in Lake Tahoe for centuries. Lake Tahoe covers about 192 square miles. It stretches across the border into California as well. The interesting part about the lake is that it is the world's 10th deepest lake. So that does support the fact that a monster could be living there. People from the Washoe and Paiute tribes spoke of a serpent-like monster that lived in a cave beneath the lake. They held the large creature at such high regard that even speaking of the animal was considered unthinkable. Some say that even speaking of it could cause blindness or even death. The creature is apparently 10 to 80 feet long, so there is definitely room for interpretation there. But it apparently has a large serpent-like body as wide across as a barrel. The color ranges from jet black to turquoise, and... Its skin is usually described as smooth, despite having reptilian features. One unique thing about Tessie is that it is said to move in an up-and-down fashion, unlike a snake that moves from side to side. Although it's unclear what the first documented sighting of Tessie was, the earliest I could find was in 1959. A police officer, Mickey Daniels, and a fellow fisherman were on the lake in a 43-foot boat when a wake rocked them. The weight came from under the water, then disappeared. Daniels told the LA Times that there were no other boats on the water with them, and that it was not a wake from a boat. There was an expedition that may have been able to prove there really was something living in the lake. In the mid 1970s, a famous oceanographer named Jacques Cousteau decided to investigate Lake Tahoe. Cousteau brought a mini-submarine to the lake, where he conducted several dives. After one of the dives, he apparently came up to the surface and said, the world isn't ready for what is down there. And if that wasn't crazy enough, he refused to release any pictures or data from the expedition to his death. No one has seen or even knows what Cousteau saw that would make him say that. Then, several weeks after, two divers reported finding an underwater cave. They said that all of a sudden, a creature shot out, and after the sand had settled, they found two large thin prints. Okay, so I have some thoughts on this, but I think we should save it for Weird Club. Moral of the story is that at this point, there were no photographs or videos of Tessie. 
Then, in 1979, a witness said he and three others watched an enormous serpent hunting a school of trout. He said it was about as big around as a telephone pole, and maybe 30 to 60 feet in length. From what we could see of it, it didn't swim like a snake. It was diving up and splashing down with its head and neck into the school of fish, which were leaping out of the water ahead of it. We were speechless for several minutes afterward. Sightings definitely did not stop there. In June of 1982, two off-duty Reno policemen named Chris Beebe and Jerry Jones said they saw the creature. They were water skiing on the lake when they saw an unusually large creature swim by them. Then, about four years later, a scientist got involved. A group of scientists with the U.S. Davis Tahoe Research Group came to the lake in 1984 to investigate Tessie. But, of course, they found inconclusive results. Now, to me, inconclusive means that they found evidence for both for and against there being a lake monster. But I could be wrong about that. That same year, though, there was another sighting. July 12th, 1984. An article was published in the San Francisco Chronicles that made Tessie front page news. According to the article, two Tahoe City residents, Patsy McKay and Diane Stravonsky, saw what they believe was Tessie. The pair were hiking above the west shore when they spotted something swimming in the lake. McKay said that the creature was about 17 feet long. As she watched it, she saw it surface three times and said it looked like a little submarine. Stravatsky said that whatever they saw had a humped back and seemed to surface in a whale-like, lethargic manner. The women said they were sure that it wasn't a diver, a log, or a large ripple. They know they saw Tessie. Then, in the late 1990s, a kayaking instructor reported seeing a glance of what looked like a green two-person kayak flip over and immediately sink. Fearing it was someone in distress, he quickly drove his speedboat over to where he saw it. But when he got there, there were no traces of the kayak. And even more, none of his students reported flipping over at any time during the day. Like I said, sightings never really ceased, but no one had reported catching the monster on camera. Until 2004, when an off-duty bartender on the Tahoe Queen took a picture of a black hump in the water, which he claims is the top of the creature's head. So, it is very confusing which picture this is, but I'm pretty sure it's the one that I put in the Instagram post. It looks like a long neck and head of a creature coming out of the water, but I personally think it was faked, because it really doesn't look real whatsoever. There has been rumored Tessie footage, which is reportedly being an analyzed before being released to the public. Now, there is a satirical article that talks about how Tessie has been related to human deaths in the lake and that the fish populations are dwindling. It even goes as far to say that Tessie was created in the InGen Laboratory. If you are a big Jurassic Park fan, you'll recognize that name because it's the lab that created the dinosaurs in the movie. And well, we all saw how amazing that turned out. <laughs> the real theories on what the beast could be range from prehistoric dinosaur like the plesiosaur to our favorite sturgeon. And in terms of the dinosaur theory, it is usually ruled out by scientists because the lake was formed in the last ice age, which is long after the creatures went extinct. 
As we know, sturgeons and eels are always brought up in lake monster stories, but no sturgeon has been found in Lake Tahoe. That being said, they are bottom feeders, and since the lake is so deep, it would make sense for them not to be seen often, which could account for Tessie. There are freshwater eels in the lake, but they usually only grow up to three feet in length. No one has been able to identify what people are claiming to see in the lake. So, maybe Tessie really is swimming in the depths of Lake Tahoe. So, now we shall journey on to another state, the state of Idaho, where there seems to be another lake monster, this one with the jaws of an alligator. Bear Lake is located on the border of Idaho and Utah, and it is known as the Caribbean of the Rockies due to its beautifully clear water. It's about 90 miles long and covers about 110 square miles. The average depth of the lake is 94 feet, but the deepest part is about 207 feet deep. Definitely enough space for a lake monster. A monster that was described as everything from an enormous alligator with blazing red eyes to a walrus without tusks to a dinosaur. The first report of this monster came from a notable man in town. He details many different sightings of what is known as the Bear Lake Monster. August 5th, 1868. A newspaper from Salt Lake City, Utah called The Desert News published these sightings of the creature that lived in the lake. A correspondent named Charles C. Rich wrote a report that gave almost five years worth of sightings. Rich even said the Native American tribe in the area spoke of this monster as well. Rich said the natives told them that it has captured and carried away Indians while in the lake swimming. According to the native stories, it had short, squatty legs and often crawled onto shore searching for food, sometimes catching men, women, and children as they came to bathe in the lake. Rich goes on to talk about how in July of that year, a man named Mr. S.M. Johnson saw the creature. Johnson had thought it was the body of someone who had drowned. He wrote that Johnson did not see the body, only the head and what he supposed to be part of the neck. It had ears or bunches on the side of its head, nearly as large as a pint cup. Rich went on to tell the story of three women who saw something very similar along the lake the next day. It was very large, and they say it swam much faster than a horse could run on land. And the last report he mentioned in his piece was when a large group of people had seen something in the lake. He wrote, their attention was suddenly attracted to a peculiar motion or wave in the water, about three miles distant. The lake was not rough, only a little disturbed by a light wind. Mr. Slight says he distinctly saw the sides of a very large animal. He would suppose to not be less than 90 feet in length. In a few minutes after the discovery of the first, a second one followed in its wake, but seemed to be much smaller, appearing to Mr. Slight about the size of a horse. A large one followed this, and so on until four large ones. In all, and six small ones had run southward out of sight. That means that witnesses had seen at least ten of these creatures. That wasn't the end of Rich either. He wrote back about two years later with another sighting, this one from someone on a boat in the lake. He said a young man and three others were fishing in a boat on the lake. One of the men spotted something. Rich wrote, he described his head as a serpent shaped. He saw about 20 feet of its body, which was covered with hair or fur, something like a bitter and light brown. 
It had two flippers extending from the upper part of the body, which he compared to the blades of his oar. He was so near that if he had had a rifle, he could have shot it. So now there were four sightings of something in the lake. Locals began to worry about what could be in there and if they were in danger. But just as fast as the stories came, they stopped. There were no media reports about the Bear Lake monster for 24 years. But another story popped up in the meantime, one that told the truth. Charles C. Rich had made them all up. Rich was a notorious prankster and eventually admitted to fabricating the stories. Or at least that's what he claimed. Because although stories went silent for a while, they didn't stay that way. On September 18, 1907, another well-known newspaper came out with the headline, Bear Lake Monster Appears. Leviathan comes from the lake and devours horse while men shoot at it. In the article, the witness stated it was a combination of a dragon, bear, and fish, and measuring 20 feet in length, and possessing the roar of a lion. And then, only three days later, people started to believe that there really could be a monster in their lake. September 21st, 1907. The front of the newspaper read, Quill Nebecker Sees Monster. Now to us, that may not sound shocking, but Quill Nebecker was Aquila C. Nebecker. He had not only served as president of the Senate of Utah, he was also the town celebrity. He said that the beast came to the Nebecker ranch, overturned the pig pen, devoured eight of his finest shouts, and on the return trip to the lake, ate a stack of hay, a small stack, and terribly lacerated two of his finest milkers. He went on to say that it quickly consumed eight of his pigs and even swallowed a dozen bales of barbed wire standing near his barn. Nebecker felt helpless, but knew something had to be done, so he looked around. He saw his graphophone, which is an old record player, and remembered the stories of taming the snakes and wild animals of the forest, so he decided to see if it would work. He started his machine, and the song that played was Home Sweet Home. And when the song began, he noticed the monster had stopped moving. And this is when things get weird. According to Nebecker, the beast smiled at him and then started playing an instrument with the song. Nebecker and the Bear Lake monster became friends that day. The story is much more sappy than what I have ended it with, but you get the point. It was fake. Yet again, I mean, if there really is a monster in the lake, man, it's going to have a really hard time showing itself because I sure won't believe anything from this town anymore. But perhaps Nebecker knew exactly what he was doing. Maybe he saw this town scared of the beautiful lake they had, and so he decided to cheer everyone up with a story and make them less scared to go and enjoy what nature gave them. I mean, not every lake is compared to the Caribbean. <laughs> In 1996, the town had a competition to name the monster in the lake, and the judges decided on the name Isabella, which had been submitted by an eight-year-old girl. So Isabella was the lake's mascot, and the towns surrounding it had something to be proud of. That is, until 2002. A local businessman named Brian Hershey said he was anchoring his pontoon boat at the end of the day when he saw two humps in the water near his boat. The humps were about 100 yards away, according to the Desert News. 
He thought at first it was debris or lost water skis until they disappeared under the surface. But then something lifted his boat slightly out of the water. He tried to regain his footing when he saw a giant serpent neck break the surface. The monster had dark green skin topped by a toothy head with beet red eyes. It roared loudly and then disappeared back into the lake. Now, I don't know this man, but that sounds terrifying. And I feel like I would have ran into town like Belle's father did when he had been let go from the beast's castle. But it seemed like this was talked about and then let alone. You'd think there'd You'd think there'd be another witness, or, I don't know, maybe someone else would have heard a loud roar from a lake monster? Either way, many believe this is nothing more than a legend. Others think it could be a dinosaur-like creature or sea lizard from the time when Lake Bonneville covered the entirety of this great basin. Lake Bonneville covered about 19,800 square miles, and it was formed about 30,000 years ago. It eventually dried up, but at one point it had been the home of different underwater plants, mollusks, and even mammals. Some of the fossils they have found where the lake once was include the ground sloth, giant bear, black bear, mammoth, two species of horse, camel, extinct large deer, mule deer, extinct pronghorn, two extinct species of bison, muskox, mountain sheep, fish, amphibians, mainly frogs, lizards, snakes, birds, rodents, and rabbits but no sea monsters. And yes, I said sea monsters because some think there was a subterranean channel that linked the lake to the Pacific Ocean. Therefore, a sea creature may have come in through there and gotten stuck, just like our good friend Champ. But none of this has been proven, except the Champ part. There is one explanation that might tie this whole story up with a bow. A Utah Division of Wildlife Resources Fisheries biologist named Bryce Nielsen reported on October 24, 1976, that a small group of elk had been trapped between the lake and the highway. The herd had decided the lake was the better option, so they took off into the water. They swam about 6.5 to 7 miles across the lake in three and a half hours. And then Nielsen reported seeing the elk swim back across the lake the next afternoon. But he noted that looking at the small herd of elk in the middle of the lake made him and other residents think about the legend of the Bear Lake monster. Darren DeBlois, the current wildlife biologist, said he hasn't had any monster sightings since he has been there. But he has heard stories about the elk swimming in the lake, and that could account for something in the water. However, he did say elk numbers around the lake are small, and he hasn't personally seen elk in or around the lake since he started in 2006. So, the jury is still out on whether Isabella is really swimming around Bear Lake. Nevada and Idaho are two large states with enough room for many different cryptids. So, what do you think? Are the gargantuan gliders, Tahoe Tessie, and the Bear Lake monster really out there? We are on Instagram, at OutThereCryptids, so make sure to follow us and tell us all of your thoughts on the cryptids we cover and what you'd like to hear next. It would mean a lot to us if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. It is a great way for people to find the podcast and enjoy, just like you. 
One week from today, there will be a full Weird Club episode with the Oddities hosts, Cassie and Anna, to discuss this episode and the cryptids of California. See you next week. This episode was written and hosted by me, Josh, with logo design by Jason Sykes and theme music from purpleplanet.com.